<laughs> Father, right now, I ask that you'll continue to rest on us. Be central. We're gathered around your throne. And that, um, that what's said right now will simply be you talking to us uh, using my vocal cords. In Jesus' name, amen. You may or may not have been around at the end of January this year when Paul Manwaring, a friend of the church, said, spent the weekend with us and uh, on the Sunday he, uh, he outlined characteristics of those who recognise they're sent by God. Sent is the same as apostle, except we're not claiming to be apostles, but in an apostolic frame of mind. I recognise, as it says in John chapter 20, that Jesus said to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. So it's got a sense of commissioning with it. Uh, as, as though, you, you know, you've got a job to do. And, uh, oh. So the, the last but one, I'm sorry. I've, uh, the machine isn't giving the pictures as it should, but don't worry. One of the eight characteristics was that an apostolic community of believers embraces mystery and when I heard him say that it, it's, I don't think I've heard a preacher say that before mystery is a word that comes up in the New Testament several times and scarcely scratches the surface of the Old Testament but the word secret comes up in the Old Testament several times and, and you may know of a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and our children forever. And so we've got a category of things. Uh, things that are known by God. Some of them remain known by God and not by you. But some of them he reveals and they belong to us. They're part of your inventory of possessions. And a great load of them emerged when Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, on the day he rose from the dead, you may remember... He went on a journey, a five-mile journey, with two disciples to a village outside Jerusalem called Emmaus. And they were, he didn't reveal who he was. He just said, oh, interesting conversation. You look a bit sad. And so on and so forth. And you probably know that he then went through references in the Old Testament to himself and revealed their meaning that wasn't obvious to those many people in the Jewish faith who had read all of these scriptures many times. But suddenly, 
They came alive. I don't know if that's happened to you. Suddenly, you, you've, you've been reading through, I don't know, something well-known, maybe Psalm 23, maybe, and something arrests your attention. And you think, oh, I've, I've been shown something. And, and I, I, if I said it to someone else, they'll say, yeah, but you yourself know this is a revelation from God. I've, I've been shown something. Uh, I did a, a, a brain, what do you call it? Um, yeah, that. And uh, so I started, I started at the sort of northeast corner. I don't do weird. Mystery, mm-mm. Food bank, yes. Toilet rolls, yes. <laughs> but don't give me that weird stuff. I, 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 I'm fed up of that. I got people talking who claiming to be prophetic people and on they're saying on September the 29th something will happen. No, I don't do weird. I'm, I'm sorry. And, and there may be another part of you because don't you think, don't think that these are eight different categories of people. They're not. They all coexist in us. God made us complex. I know there are some people say, it's very simple, you know, it's just A, B, C. Well, that's true, but the other side of the coin is that when God made you, he put all sorts of amazing things inside of you. And so we're quite able to hold more than one attitude at the same time as another one, even if the one attitude contradicts the other attitude. It doesn't bother God. God doesn't say, make your mind up. Which do you mean? So you might say, oh, I love a mystery, especially a murder mystery. I like a mystery about breaking God's commands not to kill people. Why we get fascinated with Inspector Morse and Sherlock Holmes and so on, uh, I don't know. Why should it be entertainment? Finding out who done it in breaking God's commands. However... There is that part of us. Then you might say, mystery, oh, over my head. I, I, I just don't, I don't get it. And then someone will come along and say, don't worry, just let the Lord take care of it. And if you have got an inquiring mind, you probably won't like that. You might say, no, I want to understand it. I'd, 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 I'd like mystery to be abolished by finding the solution. When you get to the end of an Agatha Christie, there's no more mystery. It's Hercule, whatever his name is, has shown everything that could be shown about it. And so you think, oh, that's good. It's not a mystery anymore. If, it, if that's what you do with mystery, then why on earth would Paul Manwaring have said one of the characteristics of an apostolic community is to embrace mystery, not dissolve it, not disappear it, to allow it to be. Oops. Uh, I can't understand it. Oh, why does God keep secrets from me? I don't know if you've said this. We've had one or two clues from people who've testified this morning that you can get really on the verge of being annoyed. Why do you keep secrets? Tell me. All I want to know is just Tell me. And you listen carefully. 
It doesn't seem as though anything replies. So you're left with a question. That's quite Hebraic, actually. They, they teach in questions. If you, if you go to the end of the book of Jonah and, and God asks Jonah, are you right to be angry? And it's left as a bit of a question. <laughs> anyway, um, maybe science will explain it all, or possibly medical science. You know, what, um, what uh, Alan was sharing about medical science and how wonderful and clever it is, is absolutely right. And it's a part of our feeling. Maybe there won't be mystery. Maybe if we're alive in 50 years' time, they'll have solved things which currently are, oh, leave that to God. That's a mystery. But the scientists are working on it. Don't worry, God. And then you could say, if you want to have a God, if you're going to be a Christian, then mystery is part of the deal. You couldn't have anything else. If, if God is God, don't really think that you can understand it all. If you could understand it all, you'd be worshipping a creature of your own understanding. And, and that's an idol. And, and no, I've got to... God, you are transcendent. You're awesome. You're great, we've been singing. You're indescribable. You're incomparable. You are magnificent. You're wonderful. You're beyond what I can imagine. And therefore, if I'm signing up to be a Christian, I've got to expect mystery, embrace it. And then welcome it. I, um, oh, it's missed out my visual. I was going to show you a wonderful picture of a comic, a last century comic that when I was six or seven, I thought it was wonderful. It was called Rupert Bear. Rupert was always, I don't know, you, you probably never heard of him, but Rupert Bear was always getting into scrapes and finding amazing things. He couldn't be a better day when Rupert wakes up than to find it's foggy. Oh, a mystery. And off he goes into the fog and finds the most amazing thing. I was, and while I was preparing this, I was amazed. I thought, oh, that's right. I've always been like, when I came to Chelmsford four years ago, I often used to go out walking. And the game was, I would walk till I got lost. <laughs> then I'd try and find my way home. <laughs> and, and the number of alleyways that I've walked down, I thought, where on earth does this lead? Where? And it's still with me. On Friday, I got lost in Bado. Fortunately, I found my way home. But, um, you know, so I saw something I recognised, and, and, and that was good. I kind of got a good feeling about mystery, about things that are a bit weird. If I see an alleyway in the centre of, where were we, in Dunmo, I said to Jackie, oh, I must just go up there to see where it leads. <laughs> God led me. I was busy preparing this talk on Ephesians because Ephesians is a book in the Bible that has lots of mentions of the word mystery. And while I was busy preparing this, the thought came to me, I'm going to say now, I, I believe God gave it to me. No, you're to go to the book of Job and you will find mysteries there. And I'm, I want to present to you three mysteries. There are more, but three mysteries from the book of Job. Just taking Job, some people think it's just poetry and therefore made up 
it is in poetic form, much of it, but I'm just taking it as it stands, as the experiences of Job. And the first thing you learn is about a mystery of which Job was completely unaware. And you might think, well, okay, if there are things he doesn't know about, so what's the big deal? The big deal is this. As God the Holy Spirit directed the writing of the book of Job, he lets the reader in on the mystery that Job knew nothing about. And so you, you get introduced to a mystery which I've called the counsel of God or the secret things of God. Uh, you could say even the counsel of, of God as he has people, uh, beings rather, around him. And it's a bit like, I don't know, if you were unfortunate enough to be the prime minister, you'd have the cabinet. And when you're talking to the, the group called the cabinet, they should they're supposed to not leak any information at all and just keep private this is confidential classified information and so the bible talks about a a sense of god having plans that we don't know anything about and embracing that probably means that I can't go much further with it except to say, okay, God, if that's your way, so be it. I am content to not know what your plans are. Not all of his plans, but some of them. The things that are revealed are ours, but the secret things belong to him. Now, in my imaginative journey, as I was thinking about this, I did imagine God with the cabinet round him saying, now listen guys, Satan, the devil, is going to come in. All right, Don't be too surprised. We're going to let him in this time. The angel with the drawn sword will allow him in. Satan will think, ooh, I've got my position of authority back and I'm going to ask him some questions, but I've got a plan. It's okay. Satan comes in. Oh, says God. Where have you been as if God didn't know? God had thrown him out of heaven onto the surface of the earth and he says, I've been walking the earth going to and fro. Oh, says God, <laughs> have you noticed my servant Job? This is a setup. The plan that Job didn't know anything about is a setup to show to anyone who cares to look the inadequacy of Satan. Anyway, have you seen my servant Job? Ah, oh, says Job, uh, so Satan, always wanting to cast an aspersion, always going to willing to, to, to bad mouth God. He's only righteous and cares for you and loves you because you've given him so much. You've given him blessings upon blessings. If you took them all away, he'd curse you to your face. God managed not to smile because he knew exactly what Satan was going to say. He simply says, go ahead, but don't harm him. And as the story goes on, all of Job's children die. All of Job's wealth disappears. He's left penniless. 
And if you wanted a recipe for PTSD or, or something like that, uh, trauma, he had it. He had it more and more. And then in chapter 2, a second cabinet meeting. And again, the Lord says, he's going to come back this time. Don't worry, i got a plan. Satan is allowed in. Oh, where have you been? It's a bit repetitive. And walking the surface, have you noticed my servant Job? All that you've put upon him, he still loves me. He's still righteous. He's maintained his integrity. Satan, ah, but you haven't touched his body. If I touch his body, if he has illness, if he has physical suffering, he'll curse you to, his, to your face. And God, not smiling, says, all right, you may do that. I give you authority, but he must live, not die. And so Job, you don't hear anything more about Satan, by the way, but this is something that Job, right through to the end of the book, doesn't refer to, doesn't know anything about. He's left with another mystery that we'll come to in a minute. Um, would, would you be willing to think about your own life? Supposing your life, like Job, was a jigsaw piece in a tapestry that one day you'll see in heaven. It has to do with the everlasting greatness of God and the utter defeat of satanic and evil, and evil forces. And you might think, well, I'm just a, I'm, I'm just a little, I'm, I'm just a, I'm not much. Hold on, you are. Without your life, God's tapestry is just a little bit incomplete. Wouldn't it be astonishing if what you're going through right now, you, you, we've already referred to it, you may be going through distress and problems, or you may not. But all of it, could it be that God will say when you enter into heaven, well done, good and faithful servant, and you feel like saying, I haven't been good and I haven't been faithful. Come on down, says God. You have been yet another piece in the glory of God and the downfall of evil. Wouldn't that be amazing if your life as it is now and, and what you live through in these next years turns out to be that? And this mystery that we have no idea what it is, it, it kind of ennobles your life. It kind of makes you feel, oh, there's a level of plan and strategy that I know nothing about. I know, by the way, that there are some people in the Bible who were invited in, who entered into the counsel of God, and, and um, I'm not kind of denying that, but my life is special. I don't care who I am. I may be the youngest, I may be the oldest, I may be the most foul-mouthed sinner in the room, I, I may be a really pure uh, living Christian, whatever, um, age, gender, what, whatever, it doesn't matter. You are someone that God loves because your life, I mean, he loves you for you, don't get me wrong, but, but your life is part of 
a strategy that you don't know about and I don't know about. And all I can say about embracing the mystery is, bring it on, God. Oh, wait a minute. What if it wasn't pleasant? And so we come to mystery number two. The bulk of the book of Job is concerned with conversations about mystery number two. He was struck by the authority given to Satan with horrible skin condition. He could do nothing about it. And, and there was no water beds or um, foam beds or something for comfort. The only place he could find for comfort was the dunghill outside the town that people put all sorts of rubbish and carcasses and foul stuff and, and what have you, and every so often it was burned to ashes. And at least the ashes were soft. I could sit on here. If there are pustules breaking out all over my body, on my private parts, on the bottom of my feet, on everywhere, at least if I rest in ashes, it's soft. It's quite revolting, really, because this man was the richest man in the East. This man had authority. There were people, when all these things happened to him, that were rejoicing. Good, I'm glad. They, they were the envious, the, 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 the people who, uh, you know, God, huh, look at Job. And yet there he is. Three friends come to him. They spend several days in utter silence. If you could imagine uh, Job with no clothes on, probably, and, and pustules, break, boils breaking out over his body. I mean, when you look in the mirror when you come out of the bath, you may not be too impressed, I don't know. But when Job did, you know, oh, the weirdo. You know, the, 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 the green monster. I don't know what people thought of him. They made songs up about him to ridicule him. And the three friends just sat with him. They could not believe their eyes. Eventually, they start discussing with all the wisdom that they could muster. And, and their theology was that if you do what God says, if you are good with God, then you will be blessed. Job currently is not being blessed. So they draw the conclusion, Job, you must have done, you, you need to repent, man. You must have done something that, that is wrong in God's sight. Job didn't disagree with their theology. He held pretty much the same theology. There was one difference, though. He said, I haven't done anything wrong. My integrity and my walk with God is 100%. I, I have not got... What you're accusing me of is wrong. They're thinking in their theology, it can't be wrong. If, if you do what God says, he blesses you. And if you don't, you end up without the blessing of God. Job is without the blessing of God, and therefore Job has done something wrong. And so the conversation goes on. If you read it page after page, if you suffer from insomnia, some of those chapters are very helpful. Um, so so you, on and on it goes. And, and you think, what about, what 
What about me? When Paul Manwaring, he, he writes blogs, they're on his website. The one for early in 2019 is entitled The Apostolic and Mystery. I thought, oh, that's good. Alan sent me a link to it. So I, I read it through. And essentially what I think he was saying was, he was a part, by the way, of Bill Johnson's uh, leadership team at Bethel Church in California. And he said, I'll never forget, in 2004, Bill Johnson addresses the congregation. His father is dying, he had been diagnosed some time before, and was dying of cancer. And essentially what he said was, Number one, I have a revelation from God. It's burned into my soul. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it from my hair down to my toenails. God is good. We've already referred to it. God is good. He said that is a revelation. Number two, my father is dying of cancer. That is a mystery. I just do not understand it. How could God be good and my father be dying of cancer? But number three, he said, I will not, I refuse to sacrifice the revelation that God is good on the altar of intellectual understanding of human understanding. I will not do that. The word will is really important. Um, I know I was looking at some cards in Sainsbury's the other day and I saw a wedding card, Happy I Do Day. But in the old service, you got to the altar and it wasn't I do, it was I will. Wilt thou take this man, this woman, as I will. And... People don't often talk about will. They think will is a bit um, unfortunate because, you know, they say, I'm going to stop smoking on January the 1st and on January the 10th they're back on it again or, or something like that. Willpower seems to let you down. But God has given us will and so when Bill Johnson said that, I will not, that's my will. And if you're suffering right now, with the problem, the mystery of, of why, why, why? God, just tell me why. The danger is if you develop that too much, at least this is what's happened to me, and it may be true for you, that if you develop it too much, if you allow yourself to think about it more and more, eventually you don the judge's wig and God ends up in the dock. And you say, why? Just answer. And that is a thin disguise for you tell the court, we're going to take judgment on you. And, and when I saw it like that, I thought, that, that is terrible. To take almighty God and, and make him the one who's guilty. And, and me be the one who tells him what it's probably not too dissimilar from the cross of Calvary, but leaving that to one side, it's a thing I will not do. You probably feel it, some of you, in yourself. I won't do that, God. 
one of the troubles, I think, with thinking about the problems, especially the problem of suffering, is that the more you, it, it kind of knocks on your door. You open the door, oh, you, and then you entertain the thought. Oh, well, come on in, have a cup of tea and a biscuit, let's talk. And you end up, talk, 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 about suffering, suffering, suffering. And, and this one here says, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Oh, yes, yeah, you do need God to answer some questions, don't you? And so on and so forth. Instead of, open the door. Oh, no, thanks, not today, I'm all right, bye. Or if you were a spaceman uh, on the surface of the moon and some space junk came round and you look at it and instead of grabbing it and interrogating it and interacting with it, you just wave it goodbye. Bye, see you next time. You know it will be round again. You know, it, it, they circle around like this. So when it comes round again, oh, here it comes again. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. don't worry about it. It'll be off. That's easy to say, isn't it? So easier said than done when problems come knocking at your door rather than entertain them. But the will, the second thing God gave me to say to you, I found when I was looking up all the verses in the Bible that had the word mystery in them. I came to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 2. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 2, you possibly know that St. Paul is discussing with the Corinthian Christians how to exercise spiritual gifts in the church. And he says, if you speak in tongues then no one understands. If you don't have someone to give an interpretation or, or even give a prophetic word in the language people understand, then what use of it? And I looked at that and something struck me that had never struck me before. I thought, if you had a mystery, number two, the problem of suffering, it says, hang on a minute, It says, he or she who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. No one understands him. So it's not much use in the congregation. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. I thought, that, that, that sounds really good. I can talk about my problem. I can talk about my problem without getting all screwed up. I can, I can speak in tongues. In, in chapter 14, verse 14, it says, when you speak in tongues, it bypasses your understanding. I thought, that's great. That's just what I need. I want to talk to God. I want to unburden my heart. I don't understand what I'm saying, but if I did... My understanding will get hold of it and screw me up again. But if I can just declare my mystery to God, I'm not saying you should do it. I'm making a suggestion that that interpretation of 1 Corinthians 14 verse 2 could be a helpful thing to do. Try it out. It might do you good. I tried it the other day. I, um, yeah, I'm probably just imagining. I felt it did me good. I felt something's gone. I don't know what it was. <laughs> I know God's got it, so that's in good hands. And I haven't got it. And if in five minutes' time it comes back again, you start speaking in tongues again. Anyway, we must rush on. Whoops. 
So, in chapter 38 of Job, God appears. God appears, as he does on several other occasions, in inclement weather. The Ten Commandments, if you you find out what the weather was like around Mount Sinai, it was frightening. Even Moses was scared stiff, and the people ran away. When Elijah heard from God, there was an earthquake and a firestorm, and then, amidst all the noise, a still, small voice came over to Elijah, clear as a bell. On the surface of the Lake Galilee, there was a huge storm. Master, don't you care that we're perishing? Jesus stands up. Amidst all the noise and the wind and the crashing, he simply says, peace, be still. And the wind and the waves heard it, clear as a bell, calm as a mill pond. So here's God turning up in Job chapter 38 in a whirlwind. Now, I want to ask you, if you were sitting on ashes, ashes after a fire, kind of light and blowy, and a whirlwind turns up, you'd probably want to find a telephone box or something or other. Give me a break. But Job is not in a fit condition to run around, and they didn't have telephone boxes anyway. So... In the midst of this sandstorm of of ashes, suddenly he hears, I don't know if the three friends heard it, suddenly he hears the voice of God, clear as a bell, and he is transfixed. He listens to it. And that's where, I'm glad this picture came out. I was watching um, television, I'm a bit of a flicker, I don't sort of look, oh, this program's coming. So this one came up with all these pictures on. It was about goodbye Hubble telescope, hello James Webb. It's the new space telescope. And you see these pictures, which I've always thought, what on earth is that? And it's clouds of gas with, with um, bits of dust in it. And then clever people called colorizers come along and they look at the uh, infrared radio frequency that we can't see and they put colour on particular frequencies. And that's apparently how you get these amazing pictures. But the man who was introducing the programme, who was a professor of astrophysics, he's looking at it through the Hubble telescope and he's telling you science in a reasonably user-friendly way and all of a sudden he says, it's It's spiritual. And then he carries on again with more science. You don't often hear professors of astrophysics talking like that. And it sort of drew my attention to another sort of... Now, this was an amazing drawing, if it had come out properly. Um, The the little man on the right-hand side is me, moi. And I I meet up with God. Huge, enormous. These dust clouds that we just looked at from Hubble are many times the size of our own universe. It's just beyond comprehension. And I'm looking at that, and originally, in the place of I know him, you would have seen that little clip from Manuel of Forty Towers. I know nothing. (laughs) Meeting up with God gives you a sense, people report, of awe. 
I know we use the word awesome very badly. That was an awesome hamburger or something like that. But awe is truly a word to reserve for God. Awesome. So when my little man had the little speech bubble saying, I know nothing, then amazingly, this other one came in and defeated it. Because when I was thinking of what the professor of astrophysics said, and then thinking, I know nothing. God is huge. He's infinite. If you knew as much as Wikipedia and Encyclopedia Britannica put together, you still have infinity left. And you learn a bit more about... Heaven will not be boring, by the way. Why are you there for eternity? You need eternity to get hold of infinity. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> but, but then, as I said, I don't know. I really don't know. The consciousness inside of me said, I know him. And that was the mystery. I don't know. I'm in front of God. God is far beyond what I could ever imagine in English words. And, and he's beyond... Well, I mean, the Bible talks about joy inexpressible. It's a funny old phrase, isn't it? That you and I have been given, I think it's in 1 Peter, joy inexpressible. Uh, what do you do with joy? Oh, you, you have a party and you dance. No, it's not expressible. Sorry. Peace that passes understanding. And, and originally this had, I know he who is unknowable. A strange thing. I know. I know you've probably got clever versions of what knowledge, you know, different sorts of knowledge. But God is unknowable. And yet deep within me, I've had that revelation. I know him. He, he's my father. He's my brother. He's my precious Holy Spirit. I know him. I know nothing. Which one is true? Both. All of the above and so on. And you hold that inside of you. Each one of us who knows him has inside of us a mystery. And that mystery has to do with the invitation of unknowable God wanting you. Wanting you. I know him. I know him in a, a, a deep sense. Um, when it says in the old-fashioned uh, old version of the Bible, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, it means they had sexual intercourse. God wants you to know him, know him deeply. So there we are. Um, three mysteries to embrace. One, there's a strategic plan I'm not aware of. Number two, there's the problem of suffering although I could speak tongues about it. Number three, I know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. I do know him. Both. Um, the last bit hasn't come out, but it's a song. You can join in if you like. It's, it's about knowing God. The greatest thing in all my life 
is knowing you. The greatest thing in all my life is knowing you. I want to know you more. I want to know you more. The greatest thing in all my life is knowing you.